have your Bibles, turn to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And the last few weeks, we have looked at Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 11 as our key set of verses for this series. And I want to read to you from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 6 through 9 today. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your hearts. Repeat these words to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. A big theme in this series the last three weeks has been the table And a driving question in this series has been, with everything going on in our lives, with everything on our schedules and everything in our agendas, have we sacrificed the table? Have we allowed our overloaded schedules? Have we allowed our own selfishness or our chaos in our lives? Have we allowed all of that to become supreme in our homes rather than Christ? And I would say a lot of us, if we are honest, we would say we have allowed many things to be supreme in our homes rather than the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. We have to be honest with that. Have we allowed things to take the place of Jesus? And this series is all about families coming back to the table. And when I say the table, I don't always mean a literal table, even as Deuteronomy 6 talks about when you're on the road. And we've said when you're in the SUV, driving kids to school, talk about Jesus. When you're putting your kids to bed, when you're sitting around the breakfast table, when you have family time in the living room, make Jesus the center of your family. Because my greatest concern, Destiny Church, my greatest concern for us, my greatest concern for you is if we have sacrificed the table Is there any discipleship happening in our homes? That's a legitimate concern that I have for us here at Destiny Church. It's a legitimate concern that I have for us in the body of Christ. Have we sacrificed the table? And as a result, do we have any discipleship happening in our homes? Ultimately, that's where it should be happening. How many of you have ever read Horton Hatch's the Egg. How many of you ever read this book? How many, if you're a parent, you've probably read it? Well, my text today is going to come from Horton Hatch's The Egg. I, I, I just, it's Dr. Source's, Dr. Seuss's book, and we see in the opening pages of this book a bird by the name of Maisie. Listen to what she says. Side Maisie, a lazy bird hatching an egg. I'm tired and I'm bored. And I have kinks in my legs. From sitting, just sitting here day after day, it's work. I hate it. I'd much rather play. I'd take a vacation, fly off for a rest, if I could find someone to stay on my nest. If I could find someone, I'd fly away free. If you've ever had kids in your home, you've probably read at least one book from Dr. Seuss. Now, Dr. Seuss is not normally known as an author of moral instruction, right? Not saying his books are immoral in any way, shape, or form, but moral instruction is not 
what Dr. Seuss is known for. He's known for language finesse and silliness. One such exception to that is, is this book right here. I believe that this book, Horton Hatches the Egg, actually begins to invite readers into some components of what are needed for parenting, commitment, gentleness, resiliency, strength, character, kindness. That all shows up in the pages of this book. And for those that don't know this story, Horton Hatches the Egg is the tale of a blended family. The story begins with Maisie, this bird who gives up her job as a parent, and she finds an elephant to take her place. Horton, an elephant of his word, sits on the egg for months and months, repeating this now famous line, I meant what I said, I said what I meant, an elephant's faithful 100%. And this story goes on to show us that Horton's home life with Maisie's egg ends up challenging him in multiple ways. And this story takes Horton and this egg to many unexpected places and it offers him challenges that he didn't expect and it even gives him criticism from his friends. And he ultimately finds himself captured by hunters, putting on a ship in extreme different weather conditions where it eventually brings him to a circus in Florida. But through it all, Horton remains nested on this egg. And when the circus winds up in Florida, Maisie, remember the bird, who's been selfishly vacationing there all along, she spots her egg and she decides to reclaim it now that all the hard work has been done. However, the life in the egg, as it begins to emerge from its cracked shell, it resembles more of an elephant than it does a bird. And it is now developed into an elephant bird. And what happens in this story is Horton and this elephant bird, we see them in the ending pages, live happily ever after. And Maisie is left with nothing. It's a child's story, yet it has a very adult message. It has a message that every parent needs to hear. Successful parenting comes through intentionality, commitment, dedication, love, and hard work. And I know today in this room and watching online, there are biological families in this room. There are blended families in this room. There are single parent homes. There are single people in the room. There are foster homes. There are those of you who have walked through divorce. There are grandparents. There are even those of you who have lost children in this church. And just like in our society today, there is just about every type of family imaginable. And one thing I want to tell every single person in this room, whether you are single or married, whatever your family makeup today, divorced or foster parent, there is always hope that you can build a kingdom home. And that's what I've been trying to teach you in this series, and that's what I hope to drive home today. Let's pray. Father, I come before you this morning, and I'm humbled to stand in this place on this stage. 
And Lord, more than ever before, I don't take this calling or this responsibility lightly. And so, Lord, I pray that as you speak through me today, in this room, any distractions that might have come in with somebody would be removed, would be silenced. I pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds, no matter where we are in our faith journey, or no matter if we're a parent, a grandparent, or single. I pray that you speak to us today. Direct this service. In your name we pray. Amen. What I want to do today is I want to use a little known story from the Bible, and it's not really a story. It doesn't speak much about this family, and I I want to speak to you today from a portion of scripture that you probably wouldn't turn to for family advice, for parenting advice. It's really probably a book of the Bible that you wouldn't even think really much about for a family, but in it lies one of the most Remarkable stories of family and parenting in all of the Bible. The father in this story is a man by the name of Asher. If you don't know who Asher is, Asher is one of Jacob's sons. He is the eighth son of Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. We find this story in the book of Genesis. All the way back, we actually see his name mentioned, but the story I'm looking at today is not from Genesis. Jacob had two wives, Leah and Rachel. At Asher's birth, Leah said, how happy I am. The women will call me happy. And so she named her son Asher. And from that name, we get Asher. It means happy in Hebrew. But when you look at the way that Asher's life started out, I'm not sure that happy would be the words to describe it. I want you to hear this. Asher grew up in one of the most dysfunctional families in all of the Bible. Asher was not born from Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. And that is a story in and of itself. He wasn't even born from Leah. But rather, Asher, because of infertility in Leah, was born from one of Leah's Handmaids. It's just this crazy dysfunctional story. Asher didn't have the honor of being the oldest son. That was Reuben. He didn't have the privilege of being the youngest son. That was reserved for Benjamin. He wasn't the favorite son. We know that was Joseph. So in this family, we see favoritism. And we see sibling rivalry. We see deceit. We see resentment. We see all of it. But somewhere along the line, something started to shift in Asher's family. And as I said, many of you, as you read scripture, have probably completely glossed over this family story, and you don't even know it exists. I'm not sure how it happened. I'm not exactly sure when it happened, but somewhere along the line, Asher, from throwing his brother into a pit, to where we see him in our text today, something changed in him. I don't know when, I don't know where, I don't exactly know how, but what we do know is Asher built a legacy. Asher left behind a legacy, a legacy of faith, a legacy of wisdom, a legacy of abundance, a legacy of prosperity, a legacy of character and service. 
And what's really is important and what I'm really trying to drive home to us as parents very specifically in this church is we too can leave a legacy behind, not just for ourselves and not even just for our own children, but for the descendants of our children. So let's take a look. Turn with me to what all of us believe is the most famous family chapter in all the Bible, 1 Chronicles chapter 7. Let's look at this. What we're going to do is we're going to look at verse 30, and then we're going to look at verse 40. I'm going to look at two specific verses, but we're going to look at verse 30 first. I'm going to give you just a little bit more background on the family, because I think it's important that you understand what's happening with the family. And then we're going to look at verse 40, and I'm going to give you some principles of parenting that we can apply to our homes. All right, let's look at it. First Chronicles chapter 7, verse 30. It'll be on the screen as well. These are the descendants of Asher. He had four sons, Enma, Ishva, Ishvi, and Bariah, and one daughter, Sarah. Right? Now, what's fascinating about this story is that Sarah, I want you to, you can go and you can look at this. Sarah is the only granddaughter of Jacob mentioned in the entire story. She's the only one. 53 grandsons in the line and lineage of Jacob, and this is the only granddaughter mentioned. It's not because there weren't other granddaughters, because, but it was customary in patriarchal societies to only list the sons, to only list the men. But for some reason, this woman, Sarah, wasn't left out. Now, I want to tell you, you, you can't go and find really any information about her in Scripture. It mentions her, and then she's done. But if you go and do some digging, here's what you find out. Jewish history says that she lived to an extremely old age and she was blessed with earthly wisdom and knowledge and she used her earthly wisdom and knowledge to help not only the Israelites, but the rabbis, the priests, the leaders. What's even more interesting about Sarah is she wasn't actually Asher's birth daughter. She is his stepdaughter. Asher married a widow named Hadura when Sarah was three years old. So Asher was the father of what we would today call a blended family. And so this daughter that wasn't even in the bloodline of Jacob is the only granddaughter mentioned in the story of Jacob, of Asher. Not only that, but when Jacob's father, when Asher's father, Jacob, was preparing to die, he brought each of his 12 sons to his bedside. And he begins to give them what some have said is maybe a blessing. Um, to some of them, it might sound like a blessing. To some of them, it didn't sound so nice. But he prays over all 12 sons. I want you to hear what he says to Asher. Genesis chapter 49, verse 20. Asher's land will produce rich food. He will provide food fit for a king. That's the blessing that he gives to Asher. We're not exactly sure what it means, but it seems to me, and we can see this, and I'm going to show you this, it seems to me that Asher's people are destined for a happy future full of blessing, choice land, and abundance. And we actually see this, and this is what I'm going to show you through this story today. We actually see this in the life of Asher and his descendants. But not only that, if we fast forward now 400 years, Asher is long gone, but his descendants are still here. And the tribe of Asher is very much still alive. 
And now we see that the people of Israel are getting ready to go in and conquer the promised land. And as we see this, we see that Moses, as we looked at at the beginning of this series, Moses is getting ready to die, right? And Joshua is getting ready to become the leader. But Moses wants to give a blessing to all 12 tribes before he dies. He wants to pray over them and give them a specific word. And what would happen was, is they would generally bring in the sons in the order of their birth. So Asher would have been eighth. But Asher was reserved for last in this blessing. I'm not 100% sure why, but he's the last one blessed. And we see this in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 24 and 25. Listen to what Moses Moses says of Asher. Asher is blessed more than the other tribes. Some of it says more than his brothers. May he be the favorite of his brothers. And may his land remember the blessing that came to him from his father. And may his land be rich with olive trees. And may his towns be protected with iron gates. And may he always live secure. Quickly, I want you to see this, that God, through Moses, is confirming the blessing that was passed down from Jacob to Asher, and he's extending it. But what we have to see here is this isn't just a blessing that's coming to Asher. Asher is dead. This is a blessing now that's being passed down to his descendants. And here's, in essence, what it says. To the tribe of Asher and all your descendants, you'll be blessed with prosperity. But at the same time, your enemies will attack you and try to permeate your stronghold, but you'll withstand them because your towns will be protected by God and you'll stand up to your enemies Assaults. And I don't know about you, but when I read this blessing that God through Moses spake, spoke to Asher, something leaps inside of me. And I believe that God is saying that to the families of Destiny Church. If we will become families who will honor Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 11, if we will follow the Lord and his will and his ways, and if we will bring our families around the table and we will stop allowing chaos to reign supreme, and if we will begin to allow God to reign supreme in our homes, not only will we be a blessed immediately and not only will our children be blessed, but it'll be passed down from generation to generation. I believe this is what God is saying. This is what I, as your pastor, am declaring over this house. That not only will you be blessed today, but that one day your descendants will be blessed. I'm declaring that. I'm speaking that out loud to this church family. And over the past few weeks, I've challenged you as we gather our families around the table. And remember, it's not always a literal table. But if we will begin to bring our families and begin to talk to them about God's way and his word, I believe he's going to move. And over the past three weeks, some of you have texted me. Some of you have talked to me personally, and I've heard through the grapevine that this series, what it's done is convicted a lot of us. It's convicted me. I know that. And I'm glad. I'm glad that this series has convicted us and challenged us because when we get out of God's will, we need to be convicted and brought back, right? When we get off on our own way and doing our own thing, we need to be brought back and put in the center of God's will. And many of us have realized that we've fallen short as parents. 
We've realized that we've fallen short as single people. We've realized we've fallen short as grandparents in our roles, as leaders of our home. And like I said, I'm glad that it's convicted us and challenged us. But I also want you to hear from this story that Asher's story should give us hope. No matter if we've failed, no matter if we messed up, no matter if we've taken some wrong paths, no matter if we have some prodigal children running from God today, this story should give us hope. No matter if we failed early on in life, no matter if we failed yesterday, no matter if we failed as parents in our marriage to our kids, as single people or as grandparents, Asher, we see he made mistakes early on that shaped his original family. Asher didn't have it all together, yet in him and in his family and in his descendants, we see a tremendous story of hope. We see an incredible legacy. And what I want to do today is I want to show you four ways that Asher intentionally raised his children. And as a result of this intentionality, we see blessings that have been passed down. And using his life as an example for us as families, I want to show us as families, as individuals, and as a church, as we prioritize the Lord and his ways, as we stay true to the instructions given to us to, as in Deuteronomy 6, throughout God's word, really, as we stay true to those instructions, the Lord will bless us just as he did Asher. I believe that with everything I have. Let's look at 1 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 40. <coughs> All these were Asher's Descendants. I want, to listen, I want you to listen to this. They were the heads of their ancestral families, chosen men, valiant warriors, and chiefs among the leaders. Okay, Pastor, what's that mean? Well, first thing when I read this, I realize that Asher was a father who was very intentional. His sons and his daughter didn't turn out to be great leaders because he was an absent parent. They didn't turn out the way they did because he left them to their own devices. They didn't turn out to be chiefs among leaders by chance. They turned out the way they did despite how things started or despite any parental mistakes because Asher was intentional about leading his family in the ways of the Lord. And I want to tell you, if we will become intentional, we can turn things around. There's a family that needs to hear that today. You say, well, man, my kids are older. You can still turn it around. I believe that with everything in me. If we will become intentional about following the will of the Lord and his ways, we can turn our families around. That's what the word shows us. And what I want to do today is I want to give you four principles that I see in Asher's family. And I just want to talk to you for a moment. And then what we're going to do is we're going to pray for every family in this room today. First thing we see, let's just, we're just going to break this scripture down into four parts. The first thing we see is all of these are descendants of Asher. They were the heads of family. Everybody say heads of family. Asher, number one, raised his children to be the heads of families. Asher raised his children to be leaders. Now, his kids weren't just hanging around the house, right? Eating all the food and disobeying all the family orders. They weren't just playing video games all day long. They weren't binge watching Netflix. They weren't 
skipping out on their chores. They weren't just sleeping all day and taking up space and bidding their time until they could move out. No, according to 1 Chronicles chapter 7, Asher's children grew up to fulfill leadership roles. So listen to me. For that to happen, there had to be intentional training and discipleship happening around the table. For kids, for every one of them to grow up, there had to be intentional training. In the Bible, this word headship, heads of families, it refers to a leadership position within a house. Asher and Hedura took this role seriously. I want you to hear me today. I'm going to speak to you, but Asher didn't surrender his God-given role to somebody else. Asher didn't ask the tribe of Benjamin to raise his kids. Asher didn't take his family to the temple weekly and say, hey, priest, put God in my family. No, Asher took his job seriously, and he and his wife said, we will do it. And as a result, we see that their children became leaders, not only of their home, but we see it passed down from generation to generation. And mom and dad, I want you to hear me. Grandparent, I want you to hear me. Aunt or uncle, I want you to hear me. Or foster parent, if you have just a moment with a kid, I want you to hear me. Just as Asher and their family set the tone Everybody say, set the tone. Just as they set the tone in their family, I believe it's our responsibility to set the tone and the direction in our homes, not only for today, but for future generations. I believe it's our responsibility. Now, this is one of our core values as a church. We set the tone. But I believe this should be a guiding principle in every single one of our homes. We set the tone. We lead the way. We don't bend to the world. We set the tone. Everybody getting this? We set the tone. I don't care that everybody else is doing it. We don't do it. I don't care that everybody else is living that way. We don't do it. I don't care that everybody else is not reading the Bible around the table. We do it. Why? Because we're not shaping you just for today, and we're not here just to be your friends. We're your parents. We're your mentors. We're your disciples, and we want to raise you up and train you. Why? Because one day you're going to be sitting around your own table, and we want your kids to know Jesus as well. We set the tone. Mom and dad, let me challenge you with this thought. Remember Maisie, the lazy bird? Let me just ask you a question as I, as I read this. Let me just, are we really a parent without the commitment of parenting? Remember Maisie, she wanted to jump on the egg at the end after all the hard work had been done. Can we really be a parent without the commitment of parenting? I want you to hear this before I go to the next thought. Headship, leadership, or or a term we've been using for the last little over a year at Destiny Church is we've been talking a lot about priest of the home. I want you to hear me. This is not just a title. This is a responsibility. Let me say it again. Being the head of your home or the priest of your home is not just a title. It is a responsibility, and we need to take that responsibility and run with it, all right? 
Second thing we see from Asher and Hadur's children is they were choice men. Number two, Asher raised his children to excel in all things. I'll tell you again, when I see this and their intentionality in and, and parenting, but not only their intentionality, but when I see the blessing and the favor that came on them because of the intentionality, it, it excites me. Why? But it, because it reminds me that the promises in the Bible are true. Because the Bible tells us that if we follow the ways of the Lord, blessings are passed down. That's what it tells us from generation to generation. So this excites me when I read this story because I realize if I just do what the word tells me to do, not only am I blessed, my children are blessed and my children's children will be blessed. We, this is, we see this in Asher's family. Asher and his, his kids and his descendants excelled in all they did. Asher and his wife raised choice children, children of godly values, children of great character, children of high standards. They raised leaders. And let me just, let me just kind of challenge you, mom and dad. You can tell that Asher and Hedura didn't settle for mediocrity in their kids. They pushed them. They challenged them. And I'll tell you, this is my heart. This is Tasha's heart for our four kids. Tasha and I, we have high standards in our home. We haven't always nailed it. There's been many a times I've fallen short and failed. But Tasha and I, through the 23 years that we've been parents, we've raised our kids to be choice men and choice women. Why? Because we want our kids to excel in everything. And that should be the heart of every parent, every grandparent, every foster parent, every adult in this room. We want to raise the bar. We don't settle for mediocrity. And, I'm, and, and please hear me. I'm not saying that your child has to be the best at everything. That's not what I'm saying. We can't put that expectation on our kids. You have to be the best. At, I'm not saying that. But what we should do as, our, as parents and as leaders is we should challenge our kids to be their very best. Do you hear me? There's a difference. I can't put responsibility on Malik and say, you have to be the best in school. You have to be the number one student. You have to be the number one athlete. You have to be the, if you don't, you've fallen short. I can't put those expectations on him, but I can say, Malik, give your best. You know, one thing I've told all of my boys in sports since they were little is I can't control the outcome of every game, but I can control my attitude and my effort. We can challenge our kids as parents to excel in all things. And parents today, starting with ourselves, starting with you, let's don't settle for mediocrity. Let's don't settle for the habit of barely getting by and just making it and then passing that mindset on to our children. Hello? Let's don't pass this mediocrity mindset to our kids. No, let's live with the mindset of excellence and expectation and integrity and faith. Let me say it this way. Let's live with a can-do mentality. We can do this. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Not in my own power or not in my own ability, but I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Let's pass down this mentality that says we're going to be choice leaders amongst all of our peers and let's raise our kids to have the mindset that I'm going to do things my parents never thought possible. Let's raise kids 
that excel in all things. Number three, from this one family, we see that Asher raised valiant warriors. This portion of the verse describes individuals who are brave, courageous, determined. If you remember from the beginning of this series, I talked about grit and stick to That's what valiant warriors are. They stick. A person of valor, I want you to hear me. A person of valor is a person who stands when standing needs to be done. A person of valor is when everybody else, David was a person of valor, right? Remember the story, David and Goliath? And we see Goliath come out and challenge and who should have been out there? Probably King Saul, right? If not King Saul, at least one of David's older brothers, David wasn't even supposed to be there. But David, a young man, had valor. And when everybody else was hiding, cowering, and sucking their thumb like Jim Carrey in the bathroom stall in Dumb and Dumber, when that happened, right, David was standing up, why? In the face of adversity. And that's what people of valor do. Asher raised kids who were ready to stand when they needed to stand. And mom and dad, we should raise kids who are ready to stand when they need to stand. That should be our goal. We should raise valiant warriors. We should raise kids who grow into adults with some conviction, a backbone. Sadly, and again, let me speak very candidly and very directly to you. Too many of us as adults and oftentimes as a result, our children, we cave under peer pressure. We cave to cultural norms or political correctness rather than rising above it and saying, no, our family doesn't bend. Why? Because the Blancets set the tone. The Andersons set the tone. The Kramers set the tones. The Browns set the tones. The Stantons set the tones. No, we stand when others run, when others flee. Why? Because we're men of God. We're women of God. We set the tone. It's time, and I've taught this throughout this series, it's time that we raise the bar. It's time for us as adults to become people of valor. It's time in our homes that we raise sons and daughters intentionally that they have valor. Sons and daughters who will remain strong. No matter what comes their way, we stand strong. No matter the challenges we face, no matter the enemies that may come at us any day, we are valiant Warriors. And the fourth thing we see, and I wrap it up, is Asher raised children who would serve others. We see this. They were chief among leaders. And I know when we think of chief among leaders, our first thought isn't always someone who serves, right? That's probably not our mentality. But that's exactly what it is here. Jesus, the greatest leader of all times, was the greatest servant of all times. Great leaders serve others. I believe leadership and servanthood go hand in hand. I don't believe you can be a great leader if you don't have a heart to serve others. First Chronicles chapter 7 verse 40, I see that Asher and Hedura, his wife, were taking Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 11 to heart. And they had table time where they discipled their kids and they trained them to become leaders who then positioned themselves to influence the kingdom of God as servants and as leaders. And you too, no matter your starting point, can become a person of influence. And you too can raise your children to become people of influence. And Destiny Church, as your pastor, this is what I'm calling us to this year. Let's become people of influence. 
Let's influence this world. Let's influence society. Let's influence our places of work. Let's become people of influence. Let's understand that our God-given calling in this life is not to advance our kingdom, but to advance the kingdom of God. And let's raise sons and daughters who realize that it's not their responsibility to advance their own kingdom, but it's their, uh, it's their calling to advance the kingdom of God. All right, so let me just challenge you with one more verse, before, one more portion of this verse before we close. If you look at verse 40, the very end of it, this verse might just be glossed over and you think, why is this even there? But listen, the number of men listed in their genealogies for military service was 26,000. This may seem insignificant, but it confirms everything I've told you today. Remember, Asher had four boys and one girl. Yet by the time those five children became adults and began to pass it down to their own kids, there were 26,000 choice men of valor. And what you have to remember is that's probably not even counting the women. I want you to think about that today. From one family, four boys, and a stepdaughter, 26,000 choice men of valor. What a family. Today, remember, I told you, no matter if you're single, no matter if you're married, no matter if you're divorced, no matter if you're a perfect family who looks like you have it all together, or no matter if you're a dysfunctional family who looks like chaos reigns supreme, you too can build a legacy family that impacts this world. All you need to do is be like Horton and say, I'll stay on this egg. I won't let it freeze. I meant what I said. I said what I meant. A Blancet is faithful 100%. And Anderson is faithful 100%. A brown is faithful, 100%. A row is faithful, 100%. That's what we're calling us to. That's what I believe the Lord is saying to us right here at Destiny Church. And I'll tell you what, I believe it all starts in our home around the table. Let's pray. Father, I come before you this morning and I just thank you for your blessing that is on this moment. I thank you for what you're saying to us here at Destiny Church. I thank you that you are challenging us and you are calling us to be faithful and it starts in our homes.